0: Uh, it's amazing how love changes everything, isn't it? I mean, how awesome it would be if we all had a love box. Wouldn't that just be incredible if at any given moment you and I could just have this fall from the ceiling, press the button, and everything would be all right. I'd tell you, love is hard to live out. It's, it's a lot, something we know a lot about, but it's something that's tougher for us to live out, right? Uh, there's a couple that was married for 60 years, and they had like, this amazing relationship, and they had no secrets except one. There was one secret. There was one mystery in this relationship. The wife had a box hidden in her closet, and the husband was not allowed to open it. The wife made very clear, you cannot open this. And so years go by, years go by. The husband's always curious about it, but eventually the wife's on the deathbed. He says, honey, can I finally find out what's in the box? She goes, go home and look in the box. So she goes there, and she opens the bo- he opens the box up, and in it is a, a crocheted doll and $95,000 cash. He's like, what? So he goes back to the hospital, and he says, honey, what's going on here? Tell me about this. And so she says, all right, well, when we got married, my mother gave me great advice. She said, whenever I get angry, rather than screaming and yelling and getting mad, I should just get by myself and do something, like crochet a doll or something, and just let it kind of, you know, blow over, and then I'd come back, and we'd be all right, you know? And he was, like, so touched. 60 years of marriage, and there was only one doll in there. I mean, she was only angry at him once, and so he says, honey, this is incredible, but what's the $95,000 for? And she said, oh, that's all the money I got for selling the dolls. <laughs> so love, love is a tough thing to live, isn't it? Love is really difficult. Love is really hard. And, and uh, as we kind of developed this idea last week, again, if you weren't here last week, I, I laid a lot of foundations. So if you want to go back and check out the podcast, that'd be great. But I'll kind of review a little bit too. Basically, over the last few months, God just be re- been really challenging me to live out what I know about love. And I kind of got stuck on those verses in 1 Corinthians 13 that just give this definition of what love is all about. And so I thought, maybe I'm not the only one that struggles with this. Maybe we need to talk about love here in this setting. And as I kind of said last week, this isn't like boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, romantic love. No, this is about loving every person we come into contact in the same way that Jesus loves us. And the things we struggle with, I think, is to think that there are other things more important than love. There are other things I think we look at and we go, yeah, that's worth more than love or my spiritual maturity is measured by this being on track as opposed to really the truth is, is it's all about love. You see, I think we tend to take different things and make it elevated in a place they should never be above love. One of those things is knowledge. If we know a lot about the Bible or God or if we know a lot even about love, that's great and all but love is so much more important. Some of us measure our maturity in God by our knowledge of him or of love. But man, if you know a lot, but do a little, it doesn't matter, right? When is the last time you were speeding and you got pulled over, right? And the cop said, you are going 90 in a 35. And you went, oh, I know that I should be going the speed limit. He said, well, let me just rip up the ticket, right? That's not how it works. He goes, well, then why didn't you do that? If you know it, then do it, right? And so You know, we're not measured on what we know, we're measured on something greater, okay? It's not about knowledge. It's also not about our giftedness. Okay, we're going to look a lot into this tonight actually. A lot of us measure our spiritual maturity and our closeness with God by our giftedness. So if I can pray for the sick and see them healed, then I must be close to God. If I can prophesy or I have words of wisdom or knowledge or I can unravel mysteries no one else can, then I must be arriving in my relationship with God. And those are all great things, but love is more important. Another thing we tend to do this a lot with, and I think there's a ton of us here in the room, we tend to measure our spiritual maturity according to how well we're keeping some rules, right? So if I'm keeping some certain rules well, then I must be close to God now. And if I'm keeping some certain rules that I used to struggle with, but now I'm getting better at them, then man, I must really be growing. But the truth is, isn't this true about people who keep rules really well? They're often very unloving, right? Because when they see people who can't keep the rules they keep, they look down on them right? I'll just give you an example. When I was about 16, a friend of mine had me over his house and I was just hanging out there and his dad was over sitting like TV, sitting, sitting. No, he wasn't sitting on the TV. He wasn't in it either. He was watching it. And, uh, he was drinking a beer and he looks over at me and my buddy, we're both about 16. And he says, hey, would you like a sip? And, uh, now, this guy watching TV, my, my buddy's dad, he was a cop. And so I figured, I don't think I can go to jail if I take a sip from a, you know, a cup of a cop, right? I think I'm good with that, unless it's a sting and he's setting me up, okay? And so I took a little sip, and in that moment, I just thought it was the grossest tasting thing in the whole world, and I've never taken another sip 21 years later just because I just thought it was gross. Now, now here's the thing. Because I don't struggle with alcohol, it would be very easy for me to just walk around going, yo, I'm the man. I've arrived. I have this level of maturity in my relationship with God because I don't struggle with this. So I look down on people who do. No, Doug, you just don't like the taste of it, right? So it's not a struggle for you. So there are other people who may struggle with alcohol, but they don't struggle with the things you do, Doug. Right? And so we're all walking around thinking we've arrived spiritually and we're in these great places because we've kept a few rules when, man, we're a mess in other areas of our life, aren't we? And so it's not about keeping rules, it's not about knowledge, it's not about giftedness. Love is more important than all these things we tend to make more important than love. And so here in this series, what I want to continue to do, what we started doing last week, is I want to challenge you to live out what you know about love. And I want to also help you understand some new things about love. I want you to grow in your knowledge. Knowledge is not our enemy. I want you to grow in your knowledge and understanding of love. And then I'm going to give you some homework. And and actually you're going to get a head start on that here today actually in our service. Now this topic is so important for a bunch of reasons. And we kind of laid this foundation last week. But one of those reasons is we look like Jesus when we love. When we love even in unbelievable ways. In ways that make no sense. We look like Jesus because that's what Jesus has done for us. But also, people who love well live richly, right? We saw that a little bit last week. People who love well live richly. So if you want a rich life, then love is going to have to be a huge part of you, okay? And so love matters so much. We look like our Savior, and there's going to be some other things we're going to discover here together tonight. But man, we all want to live rich lives, and I believe that that's something that God wants for us. He wants us to be surrounded by people that we love and that love us well. And so this is so important. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just say this to you. We're so glad you're here. You're always welcome here. Even if you don't believe like us, we're just glad you're in the building tonight. And we look forward to continuing to get to know you. But maybe you're sitting here going, all right, this sounds like a really like Christian thing. So what's up with this? Well, first of all, let me say this. I think you want to be more loving too, right? Right? I mean, I I think you don't need a relationship with God to realize I should be a more loving person, okay? But in another angle I got to take on this, and I'm going to do this every single week of this series, is, is for me to just kind of humble myself and apologize to you if you're not a follower of Jesus, because so often followers of Jesus are so unloving. And so maybe you came in here and you believe differently and you feel differently and you've got opinions different than mine. And you know what Jesus would do if he were here tonight, standing here in the flesh? He would love you, regardless of your view and your opinion and all that. And so we as Christians have messed that up a lot. And so let me just apologize for that and say if we've pushed you away from God or the church, then we're sorry and we're trying to change our own hearts by God's strength. And so that's one of the reasons we're doing this series here tonight. But even more than that, I want you as a non-Christian or somebody who wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus to hear about the amazing love that comes From God tonight. And so let's get rolling here. Here's what happened. We laid this foundation last week. Paul went to Corinth. He met some people, told them about Jesus. And in this city called Corinth, he actually built a church and he helped raise up this church and spent about 18 months there. Then he took off to tell some other people about Jesus. And when he left, and this is the part that I love, this is so interesting to me. When he left, Some people in the church, guess what started happening? They started being unloving. Things started falling apart there in the church. And so they they started to write Paul a letter asking for some advice and asking for some different counsel on some different issues. And so let's just say I gave the letter to Todd. And I said, yo, Todd, go find Paul. You know, I know where he is. And Todd left. Well, when Todd found Paul, Todd said, Paul, I got to tell you something, man. The church is falling apart. Like you left us and everything kind of felt good and we sang kumbaya and all that good stuff. But I'll tell you what, it just feels like no one's loving anymore. Things are a mess, so help. And so what happened is Paul read the letter and he answered the questions. But in this letter, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 13, he wrote about the importance of love. And there's 15 phrases And like we saw last week, as we kind of laid this foundation, there are seven ises and eight isn'ts, right? Seven things love is, eight eight things love isn't. And as we're going to continue tonight, we're going to continue to look at five phrases each week as we go through this three-week series. But before we get to those phrases, just like we kind of did last week, I want to remind you of the importance of love. Okay, last week we learned from Jesus. Tonight, we're actually going to look at the verses that Paul wrote right before the ones we're going to continue to read tonight. And so Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. He says this, But eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will share, or show you the most excellent way. So what's going on, Paul? What are you talking about? Well, he had just talked about the gifts of the Spirit. Things like praying for the sick, seeing him healed. Things like having great faith, prophesying, speaking in tongues, all these things, okay? And he lays his foundation and he helps them understand all these great gifts that come from God's Spirit. But then he says this, look, that's all great, but there's something more important than those things. Those are good. We need them. God uses them, but there's something And this is where we have to be careful, because the Corinthians were all about their giftedness. If somebody could prophesy, then they thought, man, look at me. If somebody could pray for the sick and see them healed, ooh, they must have arrived. And Paul's going, guys, that's not the measurement. There's something so much greater than those things. And so he goes on, 1 Corinthians 13, he starts to show how much greater love is than these different gifts. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, symbols are great if they're used in the right way. I mean, Ricky did a great job with the symbols and the rest of the set here tonight. But I'll tell you what, I'm a drummer, I've been a drummer since like fifth grade, and I can tell you this, that cymbals become very loud, annoying, and piercing. They move through everything else. In fact, my parents got so tired of my drumming in 7th or 8th grade that they insulated my entire basement ceiling and put rugs on the back of the doors leading up to the rest of the house to try to shut me up, right? Because I was just so loud, and that piercing of the cymbals. I mean, the drums is one thing, but just that constant crashing cuts through everything else. And now, of course, it's come back on me. The sins of the Father return because I now am the father of two drummers there's Cade he's been drumming my my 10 year old and he's doing pretty well he's playing with a little band at his school and stuff and then there's Lennon, my six-year-old who just goes like animal from the Muppets on the set you know he came up to me this morning he was playing he was rocking out he comes up to me goes dad did you hear me man do you know that was me I was like oh I knew that was you you know (laughs) oh yeah yeah now here's the problem okay and I hate to I like people are gonna start throwing stuff at me I get this right drummers in the room I'm so sorry but here's what we did okay because I know how loud all this stuff can be, and this, this I'm, I might throw up from saying this. We got my, my kids an electronic drum set. I know, it's horrifying, I know. The lamest thing in the whole world, okay? I know, shut up. And so we got this <laughs> electronic drum set for him, and it was all because we just didn't want the piercing of those cymbals, right? So then a friend in the, about a year ago gave us some pieces of an acoustic drum set, which is legit, and so we got that in the basement now, kind of next to the electronic one, and we've been getting little pieces, like at birthday, we got them a drum throne, At Christmas, we got them a snare stand, little stuff to kind of start to build the setup. But we still have no cymbals. I'm putting that off as long as I can because cymbals just cut through everything else. In fact, if you're one of our drummers here at our church, you know our sound guys are constantly on you, right, about the cymbals. Don't hit the cymbals so hard. It cuts through the entire mix. And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, if you can do all these great things... If you can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but you don't have love, all anyone hears is that resounding, clanging, annoying sound that cuts through everything else. He's saying you can do all these great, wonderful things, but if you're not loving, you're going to be turning people away from God through it all. That's how important love is. Then he says this, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... Okay, so Paul's saying, all right, look, if I could tell you what could happen in the future, that'd be pretty impressive, right? If I, if I could figure out all the mysteries, right? Like, why, why doesn't glue stick to the inside of the bottle, right? If I could figure that one out, that great question in life, or if one synchronized swimmer drowns, do the rest of them have to, right? I mean, all these really important <laughs> questions in life, you know, like, if I could figure all that out, right, or, or all, all knowledge, if I just knew everything, right, but I didn't have love then what am I? He goes on. He says in the next part, he says, if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Okay? And so if you had like enough faith to walk out and literally move a mountain or figuratively, figuratively if you had somebody in your life that had some kind of a sickness or there was some kind of financial situation and you could pray in faith and see that mountain move, so to speak, that would be great. And these are all good gifts. We should see God do these awesome, amazing things as we pray, Right? But he's just trying to say, look, that's not the measurement. Because if I have not love, I am nothing. And he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul says, even if you were to give everything you have away, if you didn't do, out of, do it out of a loving heart, if you did it out of fear, if you did it out of some kind of coercion or guilt, and it didn't come from a heart from love, then it's truly nothing. And so Paul leads up, after talking about the gifts, which are great, don't belittle them, we need them, but then he says, but there's something even bigger. And so I want to just remind you of our bottom line for this entire series. We found it last week in Jesus' words, today we're finding it in Paul's words, and it's this, living a life of love is the most important thing. More important than knowledge, more important than keeping some of the rules, more important than giftedness, living a life of Love. And so now let's really get into this, okay? Last week, here are the verses we worked on. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So you guys got those all down, right? So we can move on. Got all five down. Now, see, what I asked you to do last week is I asked you to just pick one of those five and work on that. And that's exactly what I want to do tonight. Because the truth is, if I said, let's work on all five, everybody, this week, none of us are going to work on any of them, right? be like, what was that one again? I don't remember. I think it was something with envying or something, right? We we just won't remember. But if I tell you, let's take all we have this week and just look and hunt in these next several verses for our top struggle, and we bring that to God every day this week, and we ask him for strength, and we ask him for help, and we go in with some real heart behind it to, man, I want to change. I want to see God make a difference. Then, man, I'm telling you, we may just more and more become loving. And so we're going to start to look through these verses, and again, I want you to look for your top struggle out of these five and walk out of here. And actually, at the end of the message, I'm going to help you out a little bit with getting a head start on this, okay? And so the next one is, he says this, it is not rude. Love is not rude. Now, this is not talking about not burping at the dinner table, okay? Because if it was, my kids would be the most unloving people on the earth, okay? So that's not what this is talking about. Now, see, to be rude means to dishonor others, So love does not dishonor others, and what we're going to be doing here in this series is not just kind of like throwing these words out there like, hey, okay guys, have a good week, don't be rude. We really want to look at what it means to be rude, and then what it means to be loving, okay? I got to tell you, there's some hard ones in here tonight. You know, I wrote these lists out, and I look at them and cringe at some of these, all right? But I don't want you to take this like I'm trying to lay this weight on you. I want you to see that I'm trying to lead you to a life of love, a life of freedom in God, okay? And I I promise you, if you put these things into practice, you're going to live richly by the grace of God, all right? And so here's what it means to dishonor, okay? So guys, dishonor checks out a girl that's not his wife. That's what dishonor does, okay? I know, in a heartbeat, it gets so uncomfortable in here, doesn't it? Dishonor checks out a girl that's not his wife. And when he does, he dishonors both the girl he checked out and his wife, right? And so and you might be going, well, I don't have a wife. Am I free on that? No, no. See, you may have a wife someday. And you're dishonoring her even then in that moment. Now, let me just say this too, guys. I know this is some heavy stuff, especially these first two. I should have put these later. These first two are rough. And the reason that I want to just pause for a second is because you and I will not get this perfectly, right? And that's why we need a savior. There'll be times we stumble, especially this next one. Some of you guys are going to feel like giving up on your Christianity if you're not married yet. You know what? Hang in there, right? We struggle and we need grace and God moves in our lives in powerful ways. But the next one is this, singles. Dishonor, some of you guys are going to think I'm crazy. Dishonor, dishonor does more than kiss before marriage. Like, what is this, 1902? Are you serious? Dishonor does more than kiss before marriage. Now, why am I saying it that way? Okay, because if you can do more than kiss and still honor the person you're with, then you must know something I don't. You know, if you can do more than kiss and, and in your mind and in your heart and your attitude, you can still honor that person and you can honor your future spouse who may not be that person and you can honor God in that moment. Then you must know something I don't. Because I know as a single person, man, you know, if it ever got past kissing, I wasn't honoring anybody. And so I think for you and I to say, okay, dishonor does more. Dishonor goes beyond. Dishonor goes to places we all know it shouldn't. Dishonor goes to places that if my parents were sitting in the seat next to me, I wouldn't be going, right? Why? There's a reason you feel that way. Okay? What else? Married couples dishonor puts each other down, both publicly and privately. That's what dishonor does. Dishonor does uh, pretends it didn't hear what our spouse says. All the married people in the room get this one, right? Oh, well, well, I'm sorry. What did you say something right as you're leaving out out the door to work? Right, texting back. I'm sorry, did I miss something? Right. That's what dishonor does. Dishonor disrespects its parent, child, boss, or employees. But love honors a woman as not a piece. Love stands for purity. Love honors a spouse in public and in private. Love respects its parent, child, boss, or employee. So how are you doing with this one? How are you doing with this one? It's tough, guys. And you know what? The grace of God is there because we are not perfect. And I'm not saying don't still shoot to honor Jesus with our lives. We have to. We need to. And it's the way of freedom. It's the way to life. But if you're here ready to give up on your relationship with Jesus because you messed up on one of those this week, let me tell you that your Savior is chasing you down with all those things going on in your life. And he loves you incredibly and wants to continue to pursue you and forgive you and lead you toward purity and holiness. Okay? So it's this balance and it's this fine line. I don't want anybody giving up on their relationship with God this week, yet let's aim for purity and let's aim for honor. Next it is not self-seeking, and I love the way the ESV says this. It says it does not insist on its own way. Is this yours? I'm just kind of selfish, you know. You know, it's, it's about you a lot of the time. You see, self-seeking makes sure its own needs are always met. Uh, self-seeking makes sure it gets the biggest piece of pie, right? I mean, Dad's in the room. I know I'm cutting up the pizza or like the cheesecake. I'm like, oh, I have the most square footage here, so I think I should, you know, be able to get the most, right? I mean, but but no, we we give that away. Self-seeking always has the hand or the remote in our hand, right? Come on, married young couples, come on, come on. You guys are still fighting over this, trying to figure this one out, aren't you? That's why you both got apps and you're like fighting. It's like channel two, no, channel six, no, channel three, right? Back and forth. Darn optimum. Um, all right, what else we got here? Um, self-seeking makes every decision. Nope, I made a decision, it's over, it's final, I'm not hearing anybody else's input. Self-seeking makes every decision. Self-seeking is miserable, and this is to you teenagers especially, is miserable and makes everyone else miserable, miserable should it not get its way. Right? This was me as a teenager. All right, mom and dad, you want me to go? Oh, I'll go, and you're going to hate that I came. I'll make you miserable the whole time I'm there, and that's how glad you'll be. I went, and you'll never make me do that again now, will you? Oh, you will, because you have a bigger will than me. Okay, all right, that backfired on me, didn't see that coming. But man, I can tell you, I regret looking back on my teenage years and being on these family vacations, and my mom was kind of psycho and took us to all these crazy places like cheese factories and all kinds of ridiculous things. Love you, Mom. And, uh, And so we'd be going to all these crazy places, and you know what? Looking back, I remember so many times... My goal was just to sabotage the whole thing just by being a jerk and being miserable. And I just remember looking back, and I now look back, and I just wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had honored my family. I wish I had been okay with doing things I didn't want to do and still had fun in the process. So that's what self-seeking does. But love is selfless. Love treats others as better than itself. It means love gives away the biggest piece of pie, and love hands over the remote. Love asks for others' input when making decisions. And this is important. Love can do something it doesn't want to do and still enjoy it. And so is this yours? Would you say, yeah, that's me, man. That, that's, that's mine. That's really something that I struggle with. How are you doing with this here with the people in the church? Remember, Paul wrote this first and foremost so that Christians in the church would get along and be loving toward one another, all right? And so how are you doing with the other people sitting in the rows with these two so far, both honoring others and this whole issue of being self-seeking? Next, it's not easily angered. You see, anger lashes out. Anger tries to control a situation or a person. I guess what anger is all about. And I, I think, I'm, if I'm honest, I think... Like I told you last week, mine was impatience. That was my top struggle. I would say this week it's probably anger, and I think that the two are linked. I think anger and impatience are often linked, right? And I think that one of the reasons anger is all about control, it's because, all right, well, if you aren't going to do what I want or give me the results that I want, then this is what I'm going to do or say or how I'm going to react, right? Right? Oh, I will train them into doing what I want by reacting with a scream or with some kind of word that's derogatory or running out of the house or punching a wall or whatever I've got to do to control the situation to get you to do what I want you to do next time. You see what I mean? And so anger is really about control. Anger says things it doesn't mean but can never take back. Anger says things it doesn't mean but can never take back tell you so many things I've said in my life that I said out of anger that I did not mean. And I can, after the fact, say to the person, I'm sorry I said that, but I'll tell you, that only goes so far, right? I just had a conversation recently with somebody that I love that that helped me realize that things that I've said in the past that I 100% did not believe are still affecting them today. Like, if you were to say, you know, Doug, do you believe this about so-and-so? I'd be like, not in a billion years. What are you talking about? And then they hit play on, like, an argument from 10 years ago of the recording. They didn't really do that. That'd be psycho. But, but if they did, right? I happen to have this tape here, Doug. Right? No, that's not what they did. But if they did, and I heard myself say it, I'd be like, I don't believe that for a second. But yet, when we say stuff out of anger, it's stuff we cannot take back. Anger is set off easily. It doesn't take much to get us to that place of a temper. But love waits before it responds. That's what love looks like. Love waits. Because it's angry. It's got to calm down. And it's got to get things under control. It's got to go crochet a doll or something. Right? Love submits instead of controls. And I realize that's a loaded statement. You're like, what does that mean, Doug? What do you mean by submit? And what does the Greek say and all that? All right, well, here's what I know. The Bible tells us this, that we should submit to one another out of love. Okay, so there's like a lot. I understand we could have a whole conversation about this, and I don't want to make just like a broad statement. But overall, especially when it comes to church relationships, love submits to one another, and we we encourage one another instead of trying to control Love carefully thinks before it speaks. Okay, if, a per, if this person was going to have a tape recorder and in 10 years they could play it back, am I going to be happy I said this? I'm going to think. I'm going to think before I speak. And love is slow to anger. It takes a lot to get someone who is loving to a place of anger. And then the Bible tells us that even when we get angry, it says be angry but do not sin in your anger. And so... If anger's yours, like I, I think it probably is mine out of these top five, or for today's five rather, then this is what we bring before God this week. And this is what we're mindful of. And this is what we're prayerful about this week. All right, God, I know what's going to set me off. I know this is my Achilles' heel and all these it is nots and it does nots. And so, man, I got to bring this to you. Next one it keeps no record of wrong. Now, Paul originally wrote this in the Greek, and the Greek phrase for keeps no record basically means this, to determine by mathematical process. That's what it means to keep a record of, okay? Now, some of us can't really multiply nine times six, but we have a perfect mathematical calculation of many people's shortcomings, don't we? (laughs) Have them all written out, right? Have them all recorded. Maybe they're literally written out. Maybe they're recorded up here, you know, but I could tell you all the things. I mean, some of us spouses in the room, you know, in 96, you said you didn't like my mom. In 2001, you, didn't say, you said you didn't like my cooking. 2008, you said you hated my dog. I mean, we, we have them all kind of on file, right? And by mathematical process, we've calculated and, and kept a really good keeping of everyone's shortcomings. But you know what? It's not the way to go because keeping, keeping a record of wrong keeps us in the past keeps not only the person in the past, it keeps us in the past. It always reminds others of their worst. That's what keeping a record of wrongs does. Keeping a record of wrongs thinks it's owed. It's owed, like, okay, I'm going to keep this record here until you write all these wrongs. But that's not what love does. No, love buries the past and never digs it up again. That's a hard one. That's hard, especially, I mean... A lot of us that are around each other for a long time marriage relationships, parents and kids, siblings, people that have been in church for a long time. I've been some of you, with some of you guys in this church for you know, 10, 10, 12. Some of you, Joey, like you know, a thousand years we've been together here in this church, you know? And you know what? Sometimes there, there can be things that you're just fighting through. OK, I'm not going to bring this up ever again. Guys, I just think that's a decision we make. That's a decision we make. I can guarantee you, if you don't make a decision that that's how you'll live, then in the moment, you and I will keep on bringing stuff up over and over again. But when we decide, no, that's not an option. I don't go there. Love brings up what's best about someone. Love highlights what's good. We're going to get a little more into that next week. Love cancels debts. It cancels them. Rather than keeping a mathematic record of all that you've done wrong, just says, okay, canceled, done. And we talked about this a few months ago, talking about forgiveness, right? So how are you doing with this? Is this one yours? Do you need to be someone who stops keeping that record of wrongs? And then here's our last of our five here today. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And I got to be honest, this one is the one that kind of like confused me and and uh, I didn't really quite know exactly what it meant, but I think it all really boils down to this after I kind of looked into it a lot. Uh, what's the truth? The truth is ultimately God. The truth is the gospel. The truth is what Jesus has done for us. The truth is anything having to do with grace, mercy, righteousness, rightness. And then evil is the opposite of all those things. And some of us delight in evil and we don't rejoice in the truth. And, and here's some examples of what that looks like. I think delighting in evil is happy when others fail, you know? Like that's the delight in evil. When you're able to look at somebody and go, yes, they messed up. Yes, they, 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 they didn't get the raise. I didn't get it either, but at least they didn't get it, right? I'm so happy. They didn't. Yes, they didn't get the promotion. They didn't get the MVP. Awesome. They got dumped. Ha, right? Delighting in evil. I wasn't pointing at anybody in specific. Everyone's like, ooh, I did? Uh, Delighting in evil loves a good scandal. They love to hear about somebody that messed up and and fell short and and they gloat in the fact that they had some kind of a feeling that something was off. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with having a feeling something's off with somebody, but when you and I are happy someone failed or we gloat in someone's scandal, then we're delighting in evil and not the truth. Delighting in evil looks at the friend who had the affair or stole the money or ended up kicked out of their house and says, yeah, I knew that was coming with them. I figured that's about what he or she would amount to. That's what the lighting in evil does. Delighting in evil is sure to gossip about everyone else's shortcomings. But love is different. Love is broken when others fail. That's what it is to, to delight in the truth. We're broken. We're going, oh man, I, don't, I didn't want to see that guy go there. I don't want to see her head down that path. Love hates a scandal. Love hates a scandal. Love sees a scandal break out and, oh, no, not again. Not again, not another follower of Jesus. Love hates a scandal. Love looks at the friend who had the affair or stole the money or got dumped or whatever it might be and does all they can to help them find hope and healing in God. That's what a Christian does. We look at those who have fallen and and those that maybe there could be a scandal about and instead of rejoicing in it and celebrating it, we say, how do I help them find hope and healing in God? Love not only doesn't gossip about shortcomings, but stops others who are. So is this yours? Is this where you kind of feel that spotlight hit you? like, whoa, this is my life. This is me we're talking about. I gotta stop delighting in evil and I gotta rejoice in the truth. And so living a life of love is the most important thing. And I want you to take your one out of these five this week and I want you to really bring it before God. And so what is it? Is it not being rude? Is it not being self-seeking? Is it not being easily angered? Is it to keep no record of wrongs? Is it to not delight in evil but rejoice with the truth? And here's what I want to do today. We're going to get a little head start. Remember when you went to school and your teacher was like, all right, it's the end of the day and I'm going to let you guys start your homework now so you have a little less to do later on. Well, we're going to do that here together tonight as a part of this service. Rather than just saying, hey, go work on this, I want you and I to start working on it right here and right now. Because here's what I want to ask you to do in just a few minutes. I want you to spend about five minutes by yourself, just right where you are. I want you to take out your phone and I want you to write down the triggers in your life for your specific struggles. I can tell you this, this past week for me was very different because as I told you last week, my struggle is patience. And this week I took about 15 minutes and I wrote down on my phone the things that trigger my impatience. Okay, homework time triggers my impatience, right? I got all the kids around the table all asking me questions I have no clue about. Third grade math, what the heck, right? I have no idea. And and so that's, that's going on. So that's a trigger for me, homework time. Okay, um, Like I told you last week, Lennon taking about an hour and seven days to get out of the car. Right? I know normally that's uh, you know, time for me to lose my impatience or lose my patience. And so I know that's a trigger for me. So I was just incredibly mindful this week around those specific times to go, okay, Lennon's going to take an hour and seven days, so let me get ready for that. Let me take a deep breath and let me help him get ready. And so we're pulling down the block. And instead of waiting until we pull into the driveway to say, all right, Landon, let's go inside. We're pulling down the block. I literally said, Landon, in about 30 seconds we're going to be hitting the driveway. And when we do, I want you to start to think about what you're going to do to get yourself unbuckled and out of the car and into the house. Okay? And it's just those little things, those little things. But I'll tell you what, that's the difference between my six-year-old son being a man one day and remembering a dad who lost his patience with him or one who was patient and helped them get to that next step. I even asked Kelly, I said, hun, can you identify any of the things that tend to fuel my impatience? And she said, I have to think about that. And I said, well, hurry up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so she did. She gave me a few. She actually knew them pretty quick. And, uh, and I, I wrote them down on this little note in my phone. You know what? So all through my week, I'm just looking at that, and I'm praying through it. And every time I was approaching one of those trigger moments, I just brought it back to God, and okay, I know what I'd normally do, calm down. One of the things is when the kids spill like all over the place, and and, uh, Cade had a drink in the den this week, we were just watching a movie and chilling as a family, and of course he kicked it, knocked it all over, and I just went, okay, let's get some paper towels real quick, and Kelly looked at me and went, she was like, you know, and so God's doing stuff in me, and I'll tell you, I just think it'd be so powerful if we just took a few minutes here. And you had your phone, or if you don't have your phone, you know, take out your, your bulletin and a pen or whatever you need and just spend five minutes writing down your triggers. This is my triggers. These are the triggers I have to dishonor others. It's when I'm with her or I'm with him. It's when we're alone in the car. It's when we're driving home late at night. It's when we're left home in the house. These are my triggers for being self-seeking. It's when so-and-so's around. It's when I'm tired. It's when I'm overworked. It's, this is when I delight in evil instead of the truth. It's when so-and-so who I you know, always knew was going to mess up. and then, you know like, Figure out what those triggers are in your life. And bring those things to God as you go throughout your week. And I'll work on anger and you work on your one. And we'll come back next week and we'll tackle a new one together. I'll tell you what, more and more we can be these people loving one another inside this building. Loving our spouses, our kids, our parents, our coworkers, our schoolmates, our neighbors, our friends. Because living a life of love is the most important thing. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful to you that you have given us everything because you love us. Thank you, God, that you have a standard of purity for us, a standard of honor, a standard of selflessness, God, a standard for patience and all these things we've been talking about these several weeks. And God, I thank you that... You have us aiming at these things, and yet when we fall short, you are right there to forgive us and then empower us to live it, God. And so thank you. I pray no one in this room tonight would feel condemned or would feel like throwing in the towel tonight because your love is bigger than all their failure, than all our failure. And so, God, I pray for us that the times we get this right, we'll celebrate. But the times we fall short, we'll run back to Jesus and be empowered to keep aiming at holiness. So help us, God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, let me talk to you for 30 seconds. Everything having to do with love in this series is about responding to the love that Jesus has for us. None of what I'm saying is designed to say, okay, I'm going to keep these rules so I can get to heaven. I'm going to keep these rules so that God will love me. No, everything I'm talking about here is about responding to a God who already is crazy for you and already loves you and already desires a relationship with you. And so if you want to respond to that God and then live a life of love, I would love for you to kind of start a conversation with him. You see, he put himself on the cross in your place to take away your sin, to remove your sin, to free you and I up from struggling with the things we struggle with and to be able to live life of love. And so if you want to put your trust in Jesus, I would love for you to pray a prayer like this just silently between you and him. Something like this, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for forgiving me I ask you to forgive me of every sin I have committed and every sin I ever will. Thank you for this amazing gift of salvation that I cannot earn myself. And now help me, God, to live a life of love. Amen. So now we're gonna take five minutes. Take out your phone. Take out paper. Whatever you gotta do, don't talk to anybody around you. If you need to move, get by yourself, leave the room, come to the front, the back, whatever, that's fine. But spend five minutes saying, what are my triggers? What will set me off this week to live in a way I don't want to live? How can I be aware so that I can live a life of love by God's grace?